Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. We are your hosts, Marlena, Sherry, and Matthew. We are therapists and coaches, and we want to share our own stories with you, as well as the wisdom, insights, and tips we've learned along the way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Welcome to this episode of Happy in the Mess. I'm Sherry, and I'm here with our resident experts, Matthew and Marlena. We are all therapists and coaches. Today, we are continuing our series on mental health disorders. So far, we've talked about ADHD and the pros and cons of diagnoses. If you miss these episodes, go back and binge listen to them. There's a lot of wisdom and tips to help you be happier in whatever mess you find yourself in. As a reminder, please like, share, comment, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to. It helps us get the word out of all the wisdom that we have to share about these topics. So today we're going to talk about anxiety. Um, I think that there's a lot of, there's a, we were talking about this beforehand, there's a lot to cover with this. So we're going to try and do this justice in our episode, Uh, but if you have questions, please drop them in the comments. If you have your own thoughts on some of our ideas, please drop them in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. So let's start with our basic question of what is anxiety and when is it a problem? Yeah, and I mean, it's definitely like there's a diagnostic category, but I think a lot of us identify with this thought of being anxious. Um it, it's it's normal. And I and I would say there's a, a healthy level of anxiety. When I work with clients, I always tell them like, like, I don't want you to to strap a blindfold and walk across the freeway. Like you should have some anxiety about that. Please do not do that. That is not a recommended activity under any situation. Um, you know, it, it's we should have anxiousness and, and anxiety is somewhat what keeps us safe. Um to to that extent, one of the things I, I tell people, um, I, I wrote a, a small novella about a woman whose father, brother, husband go out on a fishing trip and the titles only two came back. So obviously the plot is outlined right there. Um, and I was working with a group of authors and they were like, how do you get the idea for this story? And and I said, well, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law and I went out on a fishing trip um, eight hours out on the lake. And they're like, oh, did that really happen? And I'm like, none of that happened. Like it was eight hours of the most, and, and dad, I love you up in heaven. Uh, but, but like, like it was eight hours of the most boring time ever. Um, anxiety is what fueled that story because my brain went, what's the worst that can happen. Right. And, and if I say no anxiety, if I want my life to be anxious, you know, anxious free, that story doesn't happen. The mental process doesn't happen. Um, so I think sometimes there's this really this concept of being friends with our anxiety. Um, But there is a point at which it starts to get in the way and it starts to inhibit our, our daily lives. Um, Marlene, I don't know if that's something you see. I know you're, you're out with people a lot and of course working Mm -hmm. with people. Well, I know that anxiety is present. I mean, I like what you said. We, we, I think we pathologize it a little bit too much. Like it's important for our performance. It's important to keep us safe. Like it's normal if you're an athlete or a musician to have some before you get up on stage, it actually is the body's mechanism of getting you ready to do something that matters to you and that you need to do well. And so that like surge and you'll have some bodily reactions. And I tell my clients this, like before you take a test or get up to go play that tournament, you may need to poo and pee or vomit. Like 
that's your body getting ready to purge out everything that doesn't need it so that it can perform at its, at its maximum potential. And so some of that's normal and to be expected. And if you weren't feeling that way, I might be a little concerned that maybe perhaps you didn't really care, but so I tell them like, it shows that you care sometimes about yourself and your, you know, and whatever it is you're doing when you're feeling this way. I would also say though, when you're catastrophizing and it's impeding your ability to function or carry out the task or do what you need to do, then it's a problem. When it's hindering your functioning, whether you're tanking on the exam, you're tanking at your performance, you're completely unable to socialize or say what you, you know, or, or you know, get outside the house, like then it becomes a problem. So anxiety is good when it keeps you safe, but it's bad when it limits your life. That sounds like a yeah. fine line. It, it is. And diagnostically, I mean, if you go to, and we talked on our last episode about the diagnostic process, and Marlena brought out her wonderful purple desk reference, and I have my uh, gigantic monstrous way overpaid for uh, manual here, but I mean, diagnostically, like all they say, like for general anxiety, which is our kind of the the bread and butter, the basic level of this um, is excessive anxiety and worry for more than six months. Um, it's a very generalized term. I mean, how do you qualify that? Um, the second one is they have to find it difficult to control it. Um, and then the third part is anxiety and worry are associated with um, certain symptoms. And they they say they put the benchmark of three. Um, only one if you're a child, um, but restlessness and feeling heat up on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or your mind going blank, irritability, muscle tension, um, or sleep disturbances. Um, and the last, um, the last ones basically are, you know, do they cause clinically significant levels of distress, whatever that may be, um, not attributed to another um, like a physiological problem. We talked last time about trying to get our medical stuff because um, there are certain physical conditions that can cause feelings of anxiety. Um, there are some normal physical things like just vitamins being out of whack or oh, yeah. hormones being out of whack that can yep. mimic out of control anxiety. Yeah. I, I have somebody who they have a, an idiopathic arrhythmia. Um, the heart skips a random beat. Um, which has caused for the longest time caused panic attacks. And then once they got it, it still causes anxiety, but now it's like, Oh, that's just what that was. You know, I have a label for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of don't like these cluster of symptoms. I take real mm -hmm. issue with the generalized anxiety disorder symptoms because I feel like they, they sort of rule each other out on the one hand, it says excessive worry. And then on the other, it says difficulty concentrating or mind going blank. And I find that usually with people with anxiety, their mind's not blank. That is the problem. Wouldn't they welcome a moment of their mind going blank? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. It's, that's not the, I, I usually see that more in depression rather than anxiety. Um, usually they can't shut their minds off. It's going, going, going with what they have to do and what they're worried about tomorrow and what they didn't do when they were at that event. And it's just like, it's, it's a never ending, like uh, perseverating on a variety of issues. I like and that it, they've added the irritability to the criteria that didn't used to be part of it. And a lot of people present with anger that really is secondary to anxiety. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and again, there are certain levels that are good. Like I do I worry that I left the iron on or the stove on? Right? It's probably not a bad anxiety to have if if you've had something. But um now again, you said irritability. So what happens if we find ourselves starting to bite off people's heads and you know, like, okay, we gotta maybe look at this. Like this is maybe causing some problems with relationships, with functioning, with work, whatever it may be. And see, and that's another one that I often find that shows up more with depression than anxiety. This is kind Mm -hmm. of, this is how I take issue with a lot of these clusters of symptoms. Like which one is it? Mm -hmm. You know, the irritability, is it anxiousness or is it depression or is it both? Um, Sometimes, you know, often that those two commingle together, depression and anxiety, which seems like they wouldn't, but they do. And um, I also find that anxiety is usually not general. Uh, and I wanted to bring this up because I think it's important. Usually when I dig into what's causing the anxiety, it kind it usually for me goes back to trauma or some other major thing that's actually the cause. It's not this vague, ambiguous, nebulous thing that's causing anxiety. Although I will say in a lot of cases, over-caffeination and among my clients can be attributed to some of that anxiety that's external. <laughs> Too much caffeine can actually cause uh, a sense of impending doom that doesn't exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've even noticed that 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 was a huge turning point for me with some of mine was uh, recognizing that 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 third cup of coffee is not advisable. Um, really learning, especially as a sensitive who's met, you know, medication, um, just general things that tend to affect us differently anyway. Um, as I noticed, there's a really fine line between that second and that third cup and Whole, whole lot happier keeping under two. So, Yeah, I think we talk about anxiety a lot, but I also find some of these other anxious disorders to be interesting because they're, they're more pinpointed, they're more focused on a specific thing. So things like panic attack, phobias, agoraphobia, um, social or health anxiety, performance or test anxiety. Do you guys want to talk about any of those in particular? Yes, I would love to talk about for a second here about panic, um, panic disorder and panic attacks. Um, usually those, I mean, they feel like they come out of the blue. So my, um, the experience that um, clients usually report is out of nowhere, I was just driving my car, I was just laying down to sleep. And suddenly, they're overtaken by this panic attack. And while it seems random, I don't think it is. I think when the body finally relaxes for a second, the, all those feelings that, that have been repressed come in. And so it, it usually attacks them when they're actually kind of relaxed, when they're not doing anything in particular. So I find always uh, say that, you know, like, yeah, it's probably because your defenses were down and that suddenly the feelings showed up. Um, but they're not usually out of nowhere. Again, they're usually attributed to something. What I find with panic attacks is really interesting. This is anecdotal. Uh, I find that it's usually about um, hiding information, like not wanting to confront something that's distressing. So from yourself or from others, like, oh, I have an alcohol issue and I haven't looked at it. And so now it's causing me or I'm hiding something from someone or again, or yourself. Um, and oftentimes I also notice that the panic can be about just feeling this great sense of like loss of control over something. Um, and just like, and it is usually the thing is way out of their control, but the act of wanting to exert control over it, again, by hiding or repressing the feelings and this shows up as like a panic attack um, in my experience. So that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, that panic attacks can come when you relax. Um, I, 
to me, it makes sense that a lot of people have a lot of anxiety when they're trying to go to sleep or they wake up in the middle of the night and well, their mind will just keep running over the same situations again and again, a lot of anxiety. What has not always made sense to me is people who wake up in the morning with anxiety. And so it could be that relaxed state that is allowing them to feel that at that point. Is that how you explain? you understand that? Yes, that is how I understand that, that, that it's when, again, defenses are down and then finally you're able to feel the feelings and they're instructive, right? I mean, I feel like our feelings are telling us stuff. Panic's really trying to get our attention about something. Um, and until that thing is really confronted and dealt with either through talk therapy or other modalities, like it's going to continue, especially when we're out of sync. So the hiding stuff, we're out of sync with something. Like I noticed a panic attack happening with a client long ago who was starting a career that was based on what his parents wanted. And out of no, seemingly out of nowhere, he was having panic attacks because there was a, a lack of alignment with himself. Um, so that that's, can show up in a variety of ways. Interesting. Matthew, you want to talk about any of these different types of anxieties? Yeah, for those watching on video, I apologize. The cat decided she wanted to uh, join the podcast today. So Sasha's here. Um, I don't know why. Uh, she's having anxiety, maybe. So, <laughs> um, no, and I love that, like, panic attacks, the way you said, like, the body's trying to get our attention. We're trying to, you know, really try to pay attention when these parts show up and what they're saying to us. Um, I think almost the flip-flop of things is with the agoraphobia, sometimes the specific phobias, um, they, this is a really challenging one. And those who know me uh, know that my, my hermetic lifestyle is, is fairly legendary. Um, you know, I, I, I am not completely reclusive, but I'm not a big going out person. Um, so again, there's a line with this, like at what point is it fear of going out? What point are we just trying to manage things? Um, agoraphobia is typically marked by just um, a lot of, marked fear, anxiety about being in public, using public transportation, being in big open spaces, um, sometimes enclosed spaces like shops or theaters or things like that. Um, and I think one of the things I noticed with agoraphobia in particular is the pandemic was on the appearance, it was wonderful um, because people who are agoraphobic now have this better way to stay home. Um, you know, we we have a lot more access to things at home nobody was going out. Um, so the world got very quiet and very comfortable. Um, and what I have noticed in working with people is as we have tried to re-engage, I'm going to say post-pandemic, uh, hopefully I know there's some some differing of views because we're seeing a resurgence and the, you know to how much. Um, but as we've been really re-engaging with things, um, a lot of times people let the, essentially they let the agoraphobia win um, and they just kind of stay, they, they continue to stay put because they can um, and they miss out on a lot. And again, there's a, there's a fine line, like what's okay, what's too much. Um, but the more that you listen to it, the more you stay in, and that's with any specific phobia, um, it is very comfortable. Um, and this is where, if it's important to you to challenge that, having a good therapist who can do some exposure response prevention or some parts work to figure out why, because essentially you're having to confront the anxiety. Um, and if we're of the mindset that anxiety is bad, we need to stay away from things that make us anxious. 
we just continue to shorten our circles and get smaller. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, it's a very reverse therapy because it's essentially what I tell people is, is really, you should be walking out with your feathers ruffled. Um, like I, like some therapy is doing what I do is doing with the cat, right? We pat, we get everything nice and smooth. Um, a lot of times with agoraphobia, specific phobia, it's, it's about ruffling them up and fluffing them and, and saying, Hey, let's, let's try it, but then always come back to where we can be safe. Yeah. The, how to be safe, that, that anxiety about how to be safe really comes from the brainstem. It's a very basic primal sort of reaction to things. It's our prefrontal cortex, that higher level of thinking that has to weigh and mitigate and decide whether that, that, that threat is really something to be fearful of, or whether it's something that can be, can be tolerated and worked around and, and navigated. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is why I think sometimes a lot of anxiety is related to trauma is because of that, that hypervigilance is occurring with situations where it's not, there's no un, unsafeness to be had. Like there, it's, it's a safe situation. And yet that c- continues to reoccur. Like my spidey senses begin to think what else is going on here? Because that level of hypervigilance for, for normal situations is, is not actually normal. However, but like to Matthew's point, I mean, I will agree that a pandemic actually made me feel slightly agoraphobic, made me have some social anxiety where there wasn't any. And then I began to realize that I needed to practice my own exposure therapy. I mean, therapy is great, but it wasn't that one hour a week was not going to help me get out and be in the world necessarily. I mean, we could talk about it, but I had to go and do the thing. And so this is where like the limitations of therapy is, especially with stuff like this, you have to do your own exposure. So I realized the more I made myself go out, the less I started to feel that way. And now I can say it's gone, but I really struggled there for a while, COVID, post-COVID to like get out of the house and be part of the world. Yeah, this is one of the hardest parts about treating anxiety is that in order to get over the anxiety, you have to do the thing that causes you the anxiety. And there's really not many other options to that. Um, I do want to take a moment and talk about high functioning anxiety. I know that this is a term that I hear a lot, and I think a lot of people identify with it. And so I just want to give a couple minutes to talking about what that is and how that might be different than like your generalized anxiety or your panic attacks. Yeah, and it, I, ADHDers, um, feel free to roll back and listen to our uh, episodes on ADHD, uh, adult ADHD especially. Um, and uh, even though I have no uh, biological capacity to talk about this, I think particularly with women, um, this high functioning anxiety, this performance anxiety shows up and it shows up in men as well, um, right? This idea, I think if I'm catching right, Sherry, it, it shows up as a, almost as a perfectionism. You know, mm-hmm. I have to do the thing and I have to do it perfectly. Um, oh my goodness. You know, I, I think my my first thought in coming through this is comparison, right? What are we comparing ourselves to? Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll highlight dude perfect because they're very well known in the online circles. They always do these great trick shots and, and you see the one shot that they make and it's like, Oh, like they're awesome. They're amazing that they can do all this stuff. And when you watch the behind the scenes, it's like, 
oh, here's the 3,562 ping pong balls that missed that shot as they were sitting there for eight hours doing a repetitive <laughs> motion, hoping that everything <laughs> happened, you know? And so I think with when this high-functioning anxiety shows up, a lot of times paying attention to what voice is this? What's it telling us that we need to do? Is it saying that we need to do our best at things or are we saying we need to be perfect at things? Mm. Um, so again, it, it, it's a very tricky relationship. Um, it can be very elephant and writer-ish where, you know, we still need to stay in control, but embrace whatever feeling that is with it. I love, love, love that, Matthew, because you're bringing up a really good point around, I think, just social media in general, that the the shot that's taken that, that demonstrates some perfect life is usually masking a whole bunch of other stuff where life is not perfect. And so it does create this comparison that unnecessarily causes anxiety in a lot of folks because they feel like they're not measuring up to the milestones or whatever timeline they think they ought to be on because so-and-so is doing this, this, and this. And this comes up so often in my sessions, like this idea that they ought to be where they think other people are because they're having this glimpse, these shots that don't, that mask the reality. And I just, I think that's such a good reminder. And another reminder is that anxiety, can, we can condition ourselves into it by what we're consuming. Um, and it's not always just that some genetics, some chemicals, some imbalance, like that's not always the case. And it's not always the case that it's trauma. Like sometimes it's, we're exposing ourselves to things that are not uh, giving us the full story. I kind of see this in two forms. One is the form where we just expect ourselves to keep going. Just even if it doesn't make sense, continue to tolerate, continue to, to do. But then I also see the opposite, which is I'm not going to try because I can't do it perfectly the first time. So both of those, uh, neither one of those are really where the, the real health is. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad too the high functioning part, you know, that can be very, people um, don't think it's necessarily a problem because they're doing so well. But when it's, um, I get some people who come in saying they have an inability to relax or enjoy their life because they're con they're driven, they're driven to do all of these things all the time. And that is, you know, probably reflective of our culture in some ways, this like hyper capitalism and this hyper achievement oriented uh you know, very Enneagram three, I think about like just constantly trying to achieve and like just how that's also detrimental with the mental health and can again, cause and exacerbate um, feelings of anxiousness. And what is the remedy for that? Well, a lot of things, um, <laughs> a lot of things, but yeah, that's probably another episode. Yeah. I love your insights on this because I do think anxiety, there's many layers to anxiety so what's it like to live with anxiety and what's it like to live with someone else who has anxiety? Mm. I think living with anxiety is just debilitating, can be very debilitating. Um, you know, the, again, this impeding functioning, like inability to relax, to calm down, to sleep well, it can really, I mean, you can, your hair can fall. I mean, like it can have some serious other health consequences. Like, is perseverating. That's why Matthew's bald, everyone. Too much anxiousness. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Warning label. Anxiety causes baldness. <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, it can affect diet. It can affect your ability to relate to others because you're constantly in your head. Like it, it has some serious consequences. And 
And there are a variety of ways to deal with it. I mean, we talked about doing your own exposure, but relaxation, meditation, mindful. I mean, there's a whole just it, getting it out in the open and then really discovering are there other things related to this? You know, like, what is this really about for me? Um, unpacking all of that. I, I, it, we don't have time to go over all the things that it can cause and all the things you can do to help it. But those are some. Matthew? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's it, it's it's having an extra uh, sometimes an extra person or, or extra voices in there not in a not in a pathological or disassociative sense but just in this um you know it, it, it's a lot of times it's a compulsion it's it's a constant push that we have to weigh out like do i do what this says do i not do what it says um and we have very loud thoughts um and yeah all, all of what you said marlena plus that you know, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable at times. It, it, it can be extremely detrimental, but again, there's also, if, if we get the relationship balanced with it, um, there is a, you know, there is a point at which, you know, we can control it and we can use that to further. Um, and I think as, as I'm saying that too, that these are individual things and Sherry, you are, you are a couples person. Um, so I think, you know, I almost, you're hosting but i almost want to reflect like what's that like supporting a partner that has anxiety and what do you see happen with your your couples because i think this is where more often than not it shows up when i see it it's how does this show up within a, a, a family dyad triad whatever it may be you know you mentioned it being a third party and i think in couples it really can be and the partner who doesn't have anxiety sometimes they really can understand that anxiety anxiety but other times it feels really foreign to them. And so they don't understand when they should push the other person and when they should accommodate them. And so there can be a lot of um, conflict and back and forth and feeling left, uh, feeling almost abandoned and feeling coddled and overwhelmed with that all has to be worked through as part of dealing with the anxiety so that it isn't dictating what the relationship is going to look like. Mm. All right. Uh, I know we're running close to the end here. Either one of you want to talk any more about treatments because I'm sure that's what a lot of people are looking for. Um, you know, I think most people will roll to medication first because it, it provides a very quick, an easy way. And I'm not anti-med. Um, what I find typically as a therapist is when once we get meds involved with it, um, there tends to be a greater dependence on that, especially when we're talking about the avoidant, when anxiety is causing an avoidant reaction. Um, so we continue to avoid, we continue to either medicate through it. So I think working with a skilled practitioner who really helps balance, um, first of all, that that bodily anxiety. Um, and there's a lot of body work, Marlena, I know this is your jam. I'll, I'll no, I'm just going to bookmark it and lob it to you, but, um, taking control of the body, taking control of where the physical anxiety is set, working with a clinician who can help you work with the thoughts in your relationship with that. Um, and a medical provider who can help you, um, balance and not, not become dependent on a medication unless it's truly needed. If there's some long-term deficiency, then let's, let's work with it. Um, but again, with anxiety, it's a lot about just continuing to challenge um, and push forward with at a 
pace that is acceptable and and still profitable for everybody. Mm, right. I'm going like, mm -hmm. to have you talk about the somatic in a moment, but I will own my own bias here that I don't think medication for anxiety is particularly helpful, that there is a mindset that goes with the medication that people want the anxiety to go away. And the anxiety is functional. And if you make it go away, then you lose that safety factor. And so they're chasing something that really can't exist. So the medication like makes that worse where they're expecting it to just like them to be calm, even in situations when it doesn't make sense for them to. So Marlena, what about the body? Well, I mean, I, I, I love EMDR because it does target body stuff. It is kind of, um, even though it's eye movements, it is a somatic kind of form of therapy and helps calm down the amygdala so that we can look at things more clearly and with less anxiety. And so really get to root cause. And I would also say, I think anxiety is a spiritual sometimes issue too. I want to go back to this thing I talked about, like being out of alignment with yourself. I notice when people are in, in high anxiety, something's out of alignment. And until that balance is restored, it will continue to be there. That's not always the case, but I find that to be the case in a lot of, it's not like being in the wrong career field, not taking enough time for yourself, feeling extremely lonely. Like there's some stuff underneath all of that high anxiety. Um, again, that it's not just out of the blue and nowhere. There is a reason for it. And, uh, and that's why I'm also a little anti-med in this one for my bias too, is just that the meds, the meds, medications aren't going to fix circumstances in your life that need fixing. You know, that, that's not going to fix, you know, I, I've seen this too with um, people using substances. They have a lot of anxiety. Well, they're out of alignment with themselves. They're, they're in self-destruct mode. Like, yeah, they're going to cause that. There's going to be anxiety until that gets fixed. And so I think it's instructive. Anxiety is instructive, even if it is debilitating. Something's going on. Such words of wisdom. Thank you guys so much. Any last thoughts on this topic before we wrap up? Words of wisdom. Anxiety can make us feel extremely alone. Um, it's a very isolating, it can be a very isolating um, thought process um, because I think one of those, one of the big voices that comes with it sometimes is shame. It's a lack of control. A lot of times that fear of, you know, nobody loves us. You're not good enough. Um, some of the core beliefs that underlie anxiety, Marlene, you mentioned just being out of alignment. And I think that's one of the, the core ones. Um, so if you're somebody who's going through, through this and you're, you're quiet and you're, you know, you've, you've, you've just kind of tunneled up through it. Um, maybe my encouragement is just to see that we all go through it. It's something that is part, we don't, we don't experience it the same, but we all experience it. Um, and please feel free to reach out for help in your area. Find a clinician that's in your state, um, preferably one that does work with anxiety disorders and um, that you can really connect with. Um, and just know you're not alone. Um, and you're not a freak. You're not messed up. You are just normal. And sometimes things just get ahead of us. And this is a great way to get everything under back into alignment, under control. Thank you for that reminder. Well said. I would just say that anxiety has a lot of variety of causes and issues. And uh, yeah, talking to someone can help you unpack that and what it is that you specifically need to help get over it. And it's not a lifelong thing. You don't have to have anxiety for a lifetime. Like, you know, it's not something you have to live with. Oh, definitely. Well, we do know that anxiety is very common. 
Anxiety is something that everybody experiences and we may have periods with lots of anxiety, even if we don't have anxiety as a general personality trait um, or disorder or reaction. Um, so just keep in mind, everybody has this. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will continue our, we will continue our discussion of diagnoses in the next episodes. We're planning on talking about things like bipolar, depression, PTSD. We'll see how far we go with this, this jag of topics. But if you would like us to cover a topic, please drop it in the comments and we will add it to our list. Um, if this episode was helpful to you, share it with a friend or on your social media so that they also can benefit from it. We will see you next week. Thank you.